Our Father, we thank you because you are going to help us again this morning. At whatever level of leadership we are and we have achieved, whatever it teach that men can accrue to our lives or it's evident that we have done, it's not sufficient for us at this point. You are calling us to greater works. You are calling us to increase. You are calling us to enlargement. You are calling us to enlarge the place of our tent. You are calling us to break new grounds, new frontiers, try new things, change methods, touch new people, get to new places. Lord, you are calling us to carry on much more than we think we can. Lord, we ask that you will move us out of our comfort zone. Let the words that we hear not make us relax again. Thank you because we know you have heard us. In Jesus' name we have prayed. Matthew chapter 25. We are looking at faithfulness. Faithfulness in service. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey. That's the kingdom of God. I'm reading from the New International Version. Who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents of money. To another two talents. And to another one talent. Each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received the five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one with two talents gained two more. But the man who had received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received the five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with the two talents also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two talents. See. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received the one talent came and said, Master, I knew you were a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your talents in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the banker so that when I return, I would have received it back with interest. Take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. For everyone who has will be given much more, will be given more and he will have an abundance. But whoever does not have even what he has will be taken from him and through that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping 
and gnashing of teeth. The Lord bless the reading of his word to our hearts in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Now the dictionary defines faithfulness or the word faithful as adhering firmly to a person or to a cause. Adhering firmly. It also talks about being reliable or worthy of trust. Being reliable or having the capacity for something to be entrusted into your hands and you keep it. Now, but as I read this scripture, I discovered that the dictionary is limited in its definition of faithfulness. Whereas, if I give you 5,000 naira, and after one month I come back and I said, can I get the money I gave you? And you give me back the 5,000. What will I say you are? What will I say you are? You are faithful. That's the definition of the dictionary. But as we read the scripture, it's quite touching and different. Now, when the master left, he left five talents. We are told that then a talent was an equivalent of a thousand dollars. So five thousand dollars um, at whatever rate, whether three twenty, three sixty, three forty, um, is well over um, one point five million. Five thousand dollars. I hope I'm correct. At least getting close to maybe about one point eight million naira. The master also called that little or something small he had put in their hands, and. Um, the master came back. Three of the servants reported to him. The first one said, Master, I have gained five more. And the master said, Well done. Good and what? Good and what? Faithful servant. And he said, You have been faithful in that which is little. And I discovered that faithfulness in scripture is being loyal, being trustworthy in an increasing measure. Faithfulness is not just their capacity to do what you have been called to do or assigned to do, but that consistently there is an increase in quality and quantity. That when God looks at what you are doing, he can see. You know that servant told the master, see, you gave me two talents, but I'm coming back not just with your two talents, but with an improved version, an increased measure of what you put in my hand. So faithfulness is not maintaining status quo. It's consistent and continuous increase in loyalty, in trust, in every facet of our lives. I discover that as you grow older 
if you are not careful, you can diminish in performance. You can begin to think that age is a reason to slack, to reduce. But faithfulness is the capacity and the ability to stay on a course and get that course better, higher, much more increased than it was given to you. So if you are a leader in the choir, it is not just to have a choir that exists. Consciously in your mind, after three years or four years and five years or two years, you should be able to look at the choir and say, have we increased? Have we expanded? Has our delivery multiplied? Has our ministry, ministering, has it increased? Is there better performance in our services rendered to God and His people? Is there an increase and an improvement? It is the capacity to transform what one is doing into something greater and more resourceful. Now, the next two talks are going to, I think, deal with much more of that. How to manage. Because one of the things that has happened, and when I kept preparing for this, I had to pray to God for serious wisdom, is that there's a point you get to in life and you think you are very busy. You think you are very involved. And you know you can form busy. Everybody asks you, ah, we didn't see you. I'm busy. We didn't see you. I'm busy. We didn't see you. I'm busy. And sometimes they will tell you, we even know that you are busy. When they start telling you that, when people tell me that, I say, please, you don't know that I'm busy. And sometimes you now weigh your life and you discover that you cannot really pinpoint on definite additions that have taken place in your life, in your ministry, your workplace, in where you lecture, in where you teach. So it's not just the capacity to do, it's the capacity to do in an increasing measure. If you have a unit that you had, you must consistently never be tired of where the unit is. If you discover that you have reached the peak of what you can do in that unit, seek for another leader. Ask for a release. Ask for a relocation. Ask the church leadership and say, I think I've handled this for long. Um, I have reached, I'm just recycling myself. Can I be allowed to reinvent? Can I be allowed for a retreat? Can I be allowed for a time to check and re-strategize so that my life can begin on an increasing measure again? You must never be satisfied. 
And that's why we are talking about resourcefulness. The quantity of people and the quality of people that you are developing must be increasing. You must devise a means, you must trust God for grace that your life is increasing. When you get to the peak and you think this is the end, you need now some fresh challenge. You need some fresh opportunities. You need some fresh, fresh push. You need some fresh environment. Now, list three principles that I saw in this scripture. And three principles, three principles that help men to be faithful. And three that can also help you to be unfaithful or remain at the point. That man brought back, he was given one talent and he brought back one talent. That, that would have just looked like this guy is faithful. He didn't eat the money. At least he didn't eat the money. And the master said, you are a wicked servant. You handling a wing, fellowship, a, a whatever, you must be increasing. You a teacher of God's word, you must be increasing. You a music minister, you must be increasing in your quality and in your delivery. Increasing in quality and quantity. There, may, there must be more people under you. The choir should be able to have several people who play different equipment. People who walked into the choir, they didn't know how to sing, but they have increased, they have grown, they are skilled, they, 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 they train themselves, they expose themselves, they listen to what we build them, they, they keep engaging in what will increase them. Now I must stop there. Three principles. One, if you go to verse, um, verse 16, three principles I will just point out there. The man who had received five talents went at once, and there are three hands in my own NIV, so those hands will separate the three things I'll be saying. He went at once and put his money to work and gained five talents. Now, I read that from several versions, Living Bible Amplified, um, um, Good News, and many other versions, and the word at once was clear, except in King James, but I think it had to do with the word haste. It had to do with the word Speed. It had to do with the word immediately. It had to do not just with um, doing, but some measure of um, haste and push. And this really hit me when um, I was preparing. Um, the first principle is the principle of at once. The principle of speed. The principle of timing. Redeeming the time. Taking advantage of opportunities. Placing priorities right. Understanding timing. Redeeming the time. Speed in delivery. Putting our targets to time lapse. At once. Immediately. He went. If you will be faithful and if you will be productive in an increasing resourceful order, you must be a man of timing, a woman of timing. You must be able to gauge your time, gauge your life, check 
I have been in this office for five years. What and what and what can I say I have done within the five years? That man came and said to the master, Master, see. What is it that you can see that you have achieved within your space of time? You must. Your spirit must be filled with urgency. Rest must not be a hobby. Rest must be an opportunity to regain strength. Must be an opportunity to re-energize yourself. I've met a lot of students when they are going for youth service. My students, they tell me, say, Uncle, I've been a leader from this, from that. I want to go and rest during youth service. And I tell them, in the service of God, there is no rest. The kind of rest you are talking of. Rest is to refresh. It is not to relax. Rest is to re-energize. It is not to break. Rest is to re-strategize. It is not to get weaker. So, gauge yourself. I've been working in this department, in UNTH, in Park Lane, in, um, in this hospital for six years. What have I done? What has increased about my delivery? I have been a leader in church for this number of years. Where are the fruits? Where are the evidences of what I've been doing? Count them. Mention them. Ask God to show you. Don't just spiritualize it. Work with timing. Ask God. Look at your age and say, God, I'm so, 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 and so age now. What is it that I must do at once, now? And what is it that I cannot do after now? The second thing is that he put his money to work. And the second principle is putting our talents and our giftings to work. Putting our talents and our giftings to work. Find every opportunity to put your talent to work. Create opportunity. If you are gifted in encouraging people in counseling, look for counseling. Just be looking for people to counsel. If you are gifted in teaching God's word, you must create opportunity to put it to work. If you are a doctor, if you are something, if you are a nurse, if you are, if you are, if you have whatever you are doing. The Bible said the man went immediately and he put his talent to work. Take deliberate actions. Do deliberate things. Drop things that are irrelevant. And pick things that are very relevant that you need to put your attention to. Create an environment. Keep creating opportunities. Are you a children teacher? Look at the children around you where you live. Look at the children around you where you work. Look at the and keep making sure that you create opportunity to put that talent to work. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The man went and he put his money to work. And thirdly, which is the last principle on that, 
the principle of gain. The principle of gain. I discover that people who are wrong are more passionate about gain. And maybe I used to be a bit more conservative about aggression in seeking profit for, for God, about being aggressive in the positive sense, in ensuring that what I'm doing is increasing. But I discover that it's a biblical principle. You can be busy but not gaining. You can be active but not profitable. You can be very dutiful but not increasing. It takes takes risks to look for bigger results. You will have to keep changing your strategies. You will have to keep stretching yourself. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Are we together? Are we together? You must be... You must be... An, ad- an addict for profit. It's not because you are looking for more money. It's because your span of influence must increase. You must. We must. I thank God for how God has been helping us plant churches in the villages and all of that. We must never get to a point where we say we have tried. We must be asking ourselves, since we did two last time, last year, can we do three this year? Let's try. Maybe at the end of the year we get two and a half. They say, oh, he's so tired. I'll get to that. The excuses of people who don't always improve. Can we increase our influence? Gain. As a church, what are the ways we can increase our influence? I was really excited at Charlene. The last time I preached here, I was, I sent someone to buy the CD for me, but two, three days I went online, I was able to download the message. I said, wow, this is, this is increase. How do we now publicize our site? How do we make it bigger? How do we make people visit it more often? How do we make it the talk of the town? How do we increase and stretch ourselves? Many times when you are looking for increase, you are going to break status quo. There are things you say we don't do, we don't, you are going to see God giving you liberty to break the, the status quo. You are going to get into places that are just unusual. And I tell you, you are being faithful. And at every level you are, that's at the church level, as an individual, let there be a drive for increase. Let it be, you must be asking God and say, God, it seems like I've come to the end of this level I am. I need to break into 
I need to gain more. I need to gain more. I need to gain more. You run a primary school. Can I start two more primary schools? Can I start three more primary schools? You run a secondary school. Can I, can I increase it? Can I have two more? Can I have one? In, and it's not just because of money. You are, you are hungry for gain. You are hungry for profit. You want to see your influence reduced. And I must say that increase, one of the strong strategies for increasing your capacity is building people of capacity. There's a level you get to as you grow old, your strength depletes. You will not be able to do the same things you have done when you were much more younger, but you will be doing those same things you have done if you have more protégés. If you have more people under your chain of influence. So, as you grow older, you spend more time multiplying people than just trying to be everywhere. You must be able to have people that you have influence and can deliver much more than you or at your capacity. You must be deliberate about it. Jesus went out and chose 12 disciples. He knew he chose capable people that will multiply his influence. That's why we are talking about Jesus. You must multiply people. If you have an organization you run, your staffing must be increasing to meet up with your increasing efficiency, your increasing effectiveness. Now, three things that can kill faithfulness that we, 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 we learned from that, um, from that master, the, from that thought servant. And I want to say that the people who are most unfaithful are the people with the least abilities. You come into church, you see venerable is so active, you see uh, our, our chaplains, and you just feel, in this church, do I really have anything to do? And you take your responsibility for granted. I discovered that those with the smaller abilities are less faithful. Those who just have little, little things they need to do. You can imagine, I know most of us here are the very busy people. But you created time today to come. Those who are just maybe small, small leaders in church or just maybe members, doesn't concern me. Those with the least abilities are the more unfaithful. First, wrong knowledge of people and situations. I know you, master. You are a hard man. Wrong knowledge of people, negative records and perceptions. History. History can be good, but it can limit people. They have always have excuses. We tried it the other time. It didn't work. Let's try it again. We have tried it three times. It didn't work. Can we try it again? How did we do it those three times? Can we do it in a different way and see whether we'll get the result? Knowledge about people. History. Many of us who are well experienced many times say, Ah, we have been here. We have been in this diocese. Things cannot change. Oh. We just, just, let's just keep doing what we are doing. See, in this office, <laughs> things know they change. Oh. Just come walk if you don't want to join them. If you can't beat them and you can't join them, don't start your own. Just be quiet. 
they will tell you that if you think you can change this hospital, things have spoiled. They have spoiled so much, so you can't do anything. Or you wait till you become the CMD, which you may never be till you die. So people have a wrong perception of leadership. They feel leadership is the reason why they are not delivering. They give excuses of leadership as a reason why they are not performing. They will always not deliver. They will always not increase. And I want to challenge somebody here. You seem to have been giving small. You seem not to be able to have um, so much. My own is just this. And you just are. But you see people who have five, who have two, who have great works. They are increasing, they are multiplying. But those who have little, little, they are just, let's just come to church on Sunday and finish and go. And they have enough reasons why they will not do what they should do. Now, the second is fear. I was afraid. I knew that you were a hard man. I had this perception of you. I had this, I had this, I knew. You need to see his speech was so long. And I was afraid. Fear is the greatest killer of expanse. The fear of breaking new grounds. The fear of failure. The fear of what to eat. The fear of what to drink. The fear of my children. The fear of my life. The fear of my death. Somebody defined fear as false evidence appearing real. False evidence appearing real. Whenever you want to take a step, you just discover how many things will not work. You are scared. By God's grace. You will break out of that in the name of Jesus. You will break out of that. The last is, I went and hid your talent. The hiding spirit. The fear of failure. Timidity. Hiding. You sneak into church, you just hide. Let them not say, I'm the one that is always fronting things. Be the one to front it. Push for it. I remember when Venerable came to speak to some of the students, said there are people who are called spectators in life. I can't forget that illustration. Spectators are never active players, and they are in larger proportion. Whenever you go to watch football, the people who are playing are not more than 22, but spectators can be 22,000. Plus those who are watching it around the world. So, now as a player, I say, ah, if I kick this ball like this, because of the spectators. So, don't be, don't think about the spectators. They will always talk. Don't think about those who said you didn't do it well. Let, let them say you didn't do it well. It's just an attempt to learn how to do it well. Timidity. The spirit to hide. The spirit to be shy. The spirit of, and the Bible said, God has not given us. The spirit of fear, but the spirit of love, the spirit of what? Sound mind and the spirit of power. I tell you that many times it's difficult for people to take risks. took a decision some few months ago that was really hard. And I really was asking myself, do you really know what you are doing? But every time I felt I needed to move, I needed to expose. And since then I just discovered that there's an increasing demand. There's this. And I said, wow. 
So I discovered, and many people were asking me, are you, are you sure, are you not, are you not afraid, are you not, what are you going to eat, what are you, and I said, if life is about what to eat, <laughs> then I think the madmen are fulfilled. Because they always eat. If life is about clothes to wear, they said Solomon didn't dress as well as the lilies of the field, so the lilies are better dressed. There's something about purpose. And every time you are faced with decisions to take, you must knock fear down. You must. You must. Even when you are afraid, just take a step. I have this course. You know that I had this receipt. I cannot carry this responsibility. I cannot. You didn't have any of those receipts because of responsibility. Because people have carried those responsibilities double of what they are asking you to do and they have succeeded. And you too can succeed. So round up, I want us to pray and ask God and say, God, move me out of this status quo. As a church, as a person, as a wing, as a unit, as an individual, Lord, reinvent me. <laughs> reinvent me. I, I must begin an upward increase. Whenever you get to a point and people say you are fulfilled in life, then you know that you have some cajolas around you. Whenever you get to a point and people are clapping hands for you and you can't see anything else to do, it's time to leave that environment. Someone say when you're in an environment and you don't have a fresh challenge, you don't have a fresh passion, you don't have a fresh zeal, it's time to change your environment. You say if all your friends are clapping hands for you, it's time to change your friends. It's time to look for people that will challenge you. It's time to look for people that will tell you things that are bigger than you. Just bow your heads as we pray. Talk to God and say, God, I'm breaking out of this, of this usual. Breaking out of this usual. See, wing as a choir, as all of that. Can we give ourselves targets and say, I am expanding. I am increasing numerically, in quality, in quantity, in delivery, in services. In all that we have, increase us, O oh God. Change my heart, O oh God. Make it ever new. Change my heart, O oh God. Father, thank you as you are rearranging our lives, our hearts, our mindsets, and our philosophies to be positioned, to be faithful, and to be fruitful. Lord, that which you are doing in our hearts, we ask that you take it to completion, Lord, in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. We'll continue this session by going a bit further. To now look at, you know, going deep in terms of thinking about the, the closet of the leader and the quality of his leadership.
And thank God we've just discussed issues of faithfulness and it ended by reminding us that there's a purpose that is at the center of what we are doing. In other words, there's a goal in mind. If the goal is not a focus of attention, we will not be motivated to be faithful. Those who have a goal and a purpose always before them, always, will always place a demand on themselves to be faithful. If there's no goal that we see, each of us, we will want to lead like every other person. The sad thing is that because we've spent time on the activities, we might think that we've been succeeding. But you can only say that you have succeeded when you evaluate yourself against a predefined goal. If it's not there, you can't discuss success. Now, that can only happen if there's a depth about our preparation for everything that we need to prepare for in terms of our leading. The man that ends up being faithful learns depth. The man that ends up being faithful secures a closet. And it's not just a closet for the sake of having a closet. He secures a closet that has quality. And over time, that quality gets revealed in how he is leading. Leading his life, first of all, and leading the others that have been put around him, wherever they are. For some of us, some are leading in church, leading in homes, leading in the office, leading in one place or the other. The quality of that closet determines how well we can lead people and how well we can lead people is a function of having fulfilled the goal for that leading. For that thing that we are, we've been asked to lead. You know, whatever we've been called to do. And having said that, there's something that always, I keep remembering, in 2000, in UNEC here, we invited one Canadian to speak at a meeting. And I was not in UNEC, I came out, I came here, but I was leading a group that invited him at that time. And after we did all we we were doing. We were about 1,400 people at that meeting. One thing the man said was that, that it looks like Christ, the Christians in Nigeria, that their Christianity is this wide, but this thick. And when we look around and sometimes we consider ourselves, we find that that is true. That there are so many things we seem to think and know that we do. 
there are many voices. There are many things that we speak about. There are many things that we shout about. Before you even raise a prayer, somebody has started saying so many things. We know how to do the actions. But little depth. You find that there's so little depth about our lives. Now, if that is how deep we are, we can't lead people to heights because there's no depth about us. We can expand them in size, but we cannot lead them in height. And it's not just about expansion in size. It's not about somebody, for instance, having many children. It's about the quality of each child. It's not about having many things that we do. It's possible that there's somebody that is not engaged in lots of things. But then, the person only does one thing. For instance, coming here to organize the church. Now, whenever you enter and you go away, you find out that whether you like it or not, every single space between the chairs are so well arranged that it looks like it was thrown down from heaven. Now, that only happens when we find ourselves developing that quality in our closet. I tend to see from the scriptures all the time that the most important purpose of what we do in church is to carry souls after we have been sown already to now carry souls to heaven. Now, of course, that means bringing in more people and then keeping those that are in already. Hallelujah. And keeping them, I mean keeping them from heaven. I'm not just talking about keeping them in a particular church, but keeping them for heaven. Now, that's the central thing that all of us, irrespective of what unit or the other that we are handling. In other words, even somebody who is an usher, as he sees somebody entering there, (laughs) if the person has depth in his or her closet, it will always stimulate the person to carry out the ushering activity in a different way. As somebody is stepping in, because you are picking things in your closet. And some people have had all those experiences. As usher, not pastor. While somebody is coming in, there's already, they are discerning in their spirit something. The Holy Ghost is telling them something about that person. Now that even determines, it could be that the central rule is, or the front seats must be filled. But this particular person, there's something different that I need to bring the person to a certain other area. I pick it in my spirit. It only happens if the person has a depth in his or her own closet. 
It's the same with all the other things that we do. Sometimes, like what we do in the teen church, there are people you will see some days, the way they are behaving, you feel like throwing them away. And sometimes we hear those things. But that's what happens with teens. You feel like throwing, in fact, this one, just how can he be like this? How can she be like this? Just throw it away. But if there is a depth in the closet, you will already know that, look, the thing that you throw out for any reason, you stand a, a big chance of losing the person. If there's a depth in your own closet, you will also remember because when you are in your closet, in the real sense of it, God shines a light on your own areas of strengths and weaknesses. You realize that there are mistakes that you make as well. And you find out that in engaging with them and in whoever that we are carrying along, that they have the potential to make certain mistakes and the challenge is not on them. It's on us to have a heart that is expanded in understanding, in discernment, and in guidance. So as that person shows up, for some, like one the other day, in fact, while I heard the things I heard, I mean, throw this one away. Where my mind went was simply, look, this person that you're talking about, the central issue that is going on in his life is that there's identity crisis. You can't achieve it by throwing him out. You need to get him to understand and value first of all himself and then put himself in a position where he realizes that even if he's 14 years, that there's somebody that is 11 years, that is 10 years, that is watching him. And perhaps... It's because of his life that that person will come to open up to God. So you connect him with another person who demands accountability from him. And you start finding changes. Hallelujah. Now, having said that, Second Timothy chapter 2 also shows us that beyond the issues of how our closets are, that we have a closet or we don't, that there is also something that is called pattern. It talks about the good soldier there, and in verse 3, that we should endure suffering along with me, Paul said, as a good soldier of Christ Jesus, Second Timothy 2. Soldiers don't get tied up in the affairs of civilian life. For they cannot please the officer who enlisted them. And athletes cannot win the prize unless they follow the rules. In other words, if we are pursuing those goals and we are working towards faithfulness, then we must also be careful about patterns. Now, there are so many ways of people leading. But may I say that when people have a stable closet, 
they have a place where they examine what they are doing today, what they intend to do against the standards of Christ, especially even before doing them. And in that place, they also learn how they are doing things wrong. They examine themselves based on what happened yesterday. Now, this person that I focused on, like was earlier said, there's a talent. And meanwhile, <laughs> I, I perceive that God is also telling us this morning, the first talent, like that talent, that one talent that he gives, is like our lives after he has rescued us from sin and death. He gives us this life. And the minimum is that we should return that life to him. Amen. Do you get what I'm saying? Hello? That life must be returned. But that one that was, that returned one talent, the life, the new life that he gave us, we were not the ones that gave it to ourselves. When we return it, only after spending time on earth, he will call us wicked servants. How can you stay on earth and the life that he gave you, you did not harvest other souls and take them back to heaven. So if we are finding ourselves, after spending all the time we are spending on earth, going alone, we have not hit the mark of faithfulness. We are like that servant that was given one talent. So, there's a certain pattern that we follow in these things. There's a certain pattern and God expects that, look, if we are enlisted, then it's not just that we got to the end, but that we followed his example in the ways to go about it. Now, the example about leading people, we only get when we engage with him in our closet. If our closet is not sound, what happens is that we'll come to church, and I see that there's a certain way Dr. Omobi did his own when he was men's leader. And I just focus on just doing how he did it. There's a certain way that this person does when he is leading choir. There's a way this one does in missions. Now, I just follow the pattern. But God doesn't always walk in that way. God doesn't always do the same thing, even though the principles are likely to be the same. There are times he says, I will go ahead of you. When you hear the sound in the bush, know that I've gone. The next day may not be the same way. But the critical thing is that before you go, listen to his voice. Hear him. Because the next day's battle may be with a different strategy. Now, there are lots of people that have had, that have those that we, we know that have had different experiences. We know about Saul, and we know his life, especially in First Samuel chapter 13. It got to a point because this man had been, 
he had gone away from his own closet, literally. He had none existing again, indeed. And so he was not sensitive enough and wasn't paying attention. So you got to a point that amongst those who he was leading, there was no longer even a blacksmith. Do you know it's possible that you might be leading anything? A prayer department. And really over time, because everybody seems to have got used to the usual ways of doing things, you forget that, look, even amongst those who you are leading in the prayer department, that there's no blacksmith again amongst them. In other words, there's nobody there that can sharpen the knives of others. There's nobody sharpening. And so, prayer meetings are still holding. But there's no blacksmith. And so, the day of battle, what happened? they realized that the only sword that was available in Israel was the one in his hand and the one in Jonathan's hands. And if we live the life like that, that we don't observe, we'll find out that when certain issues come up, you may realize that because there's nobody that through what is going on in your closet, you have developed the realization that there must be one, two, three people that Paul said he wasn't boasting. He said that he can talk about the, the, that these ones, they are the evidence of his labor in Christ. I mean, I can wake up and as you're sitting down, there's a place, there's a group of people that you have been leading. You have held them in every respect. And I can point to one, two people. You can point to one, two persons and say, this is an evidence of my labor in Christ. I have poured out myself. And look at him. Look at her. Look at him. I can count them. Whatever aspect we are leading. Whatever we are doing. That we've poured out. Now. He realized that the only swords were in the hand of. Himself and who? Jonathan. May God help us so that we never get to the point that in whatever group we are part of, we are not sensitive enough to realize that really, that in this group, that there is really nobody that is a watchman here. There is nobody amongst those doing, for instance, IT, that is a watchman. There's nobody that is in teen church that is a watchman. These people in children's church, is there anybody that we can always count on? Are there two, three people that are watching? These people I'm going out to the field with for our churches, that we say we are missions committee, we are in follow-up. Can I say consciously that I am sure that there are two people there that before we, by the time we are picking names, look, that their knees are always on the ground for these people that we are going to teach for follow-up. Because it's a contest. We are engaging with them to break down the things that the enemy has framed in their hearts. Casting down imaginations that he has raised in their hearts. Defeating counsel that they have been packing from all, from Time immemorial. 
is a contest. Sometimes I I I weep in my heart about some things that used to happen. And people go back to oh, the past, the present, the future. But I remember that there were times when you go for our churches. There were some we did in River State, in some riverine places. And why you are having praise and worship alone? <laughs> because every person's heart is connected and ready. Praise and worship alone. You just see some people taking off from the ground, from the crusade ground, and running towards the water. Praise and worship. I saw it. It's not like what they told us in the books. I saw it with my eyes. Praise and worship. And what we'll do will be to run after those people who were students. We'll run after them. We'll ask where they go. They say there's a river there. These are some people that have been causing trouble in this community, in, among the youths. We'll run after them. Grab them. I mean, whichever way, whether you are waiting for, grab them, carry them, bring them down. Conduct deliverance on them in that place. Praise and worship. Because everybody is connected and everybody is ready. Everybody is ready. You are coming and you are entering that place having dealt with issues in your own closet. Not by the time, in fact, there are some people that during crusade and the message, you'll even be praying that, look, this one that came with you should also come out for altar call. <laughs> Lord. And you find as well that when in those in the field, in the field, there's no action, time to pray, people can pray, a lot of times, they are spending that initial time, that the 10 minutes, say there's 10 minutes prayer, before they even get connected to start praying. What is happening is that what they should have dealt with in their closet, that's what they are bringing first. And so they are spending time to ask God, Lord, in fact this morning I don't even know how I'm feeling. Forgive me, oh, this one. Before they come up, walk themselves up, to start joining in that inter- time of intercession. Because, simply because, there is no active closet. And you find that maybe after 10 minutes, 15 minutes, that's when people will start responding to the prayer points that are coming. Why? Not that you haven't been raising prayer points, <laughs> but because, <laughs> while you are still doing it, please give me 10 minutes. In their hearts, let me settle my own issues. But it's simply an evidence of lack of quality in the closet. So Saul lost them. And at the end of the day, he lost out completely. He had no quality. Paul was different, his own experience. Remember, in Acts 27 18 to 26. We can read later. That he woke up. And when the sea started raging. And when they had stayed for many days. He called them. And said look. 
that last night that the, an angel appeared to me and told me that, look, I'm, I'm going to appear before Caesar. So whatever we're doing, just know that none of us is going to be lost. <laughs> we will get to that point. Now, where, how come he was able to give direction? Simply because there was quality in his closet. How do you, <laughs> in some of those things that happened, and they still happen, how will you wake up and carry me to a missions field when you are not certain about what will happen there? Have you prayed it through? How will you carry me out? How will you carry me and bring me even to face? You just carry a new convert and it just dropped to me. Now, you see, there are people that the new converts that they are trying to follow up on end up leading to sin. That has happened many times. I have friends that I lost like that. It's only workable if we have our own place. So he said, look, even though we are seeing this sea and all that is shaking, none of you will be lost. I'm standing up in general. I say, look, that even if the seas are raging, nobody will be lost. We are going and we are coming back. There might be storms. But we'll be back here. Even though people will come to raise offense and cause trouble, at the end of the day, we'll all be intact. I can only say that if I have a place that I hear clearly from God. And that place is a place where, will I say, that three major things happen. And the first one, which I want to summarize with, is that that's a place where we get instruction and direction. We know the various components, you study your Bible, you meditate on it, we pray, we intercede, we stand in the gap, we do all sorts of things. But that's a place for instruction and direction. First of all, what we should do. A leader cannot bring quality if he doesn't get instruction and direction about the service that has been entrusted in his hand. It's not possible. He must receive instruction. And the second is about character formation. There's no place, no place, where character is best formed than in our own closet. In church, we hear and write down. But it's in the closet where we separated ourselves that we interact deeply with what we have heard and compare it against what we are doing and examine it. There's no place. If 
there is no closet. There will be no sustained character formation. No way. The person will be active. The person will be running around all over the place. The person will be doing many things. Preaching, speaking, going for this fight can be everywhere. But if the person, something pinches the person's bum bum to settle down, it won't work. And that's usually the kind of people, leaders and, liberal leaders and people, that develop into people who are extensive, wide, but no depth. It's in that process of character formation that we also understand <laughs> that look, God is actually forming us into models. If I don't care as a leader or participant in anything, if I don't care about being a model for some people, at least for one person, I'm living a very selfish life. And a life that is just not what the scriptures is about. If the things I do and how I do them, I really don't care. Whether I'm a model of some sort to some people. Can I wake up and say that I have two, three people that are following me as I am following Christ? Can I say that? If I can't say that, my own life is at risk. My Christian life. There's no depth in it. It's showing that there's no place of grooming. I repeat it. Can I wake up at the end of this year and point to one, two, three people and say, I know that these ones are following me. And I'm pouring out for them, of course. Because I know they are following me. It's not everything that goes that will go for me. No. And finally, information for leading. The first one I said instruction and direction. But information, like I mentioned, somebody steps in, you know what to do. You have a new person in your unit. You know what to do. You have this. Somebody shows up. You know what to do. And how to go about it. Now, when these three things are developed in our hearts, in our lives, it will reflect in what we do each day. It will reflect in how we are carrying people along. You see that the things that Paul, Peter described... When you were saying, add to your faith virtue. Add to it long-suffering. Add self-control. Add patience. Add brotherly kindness. Add love. You'll see them manifest. They're originating from somewhere. Your closet. And he said that those people that don't see these things, that they are short-sighted. But for those who engage in them, and add this, I call them spiritual supplements. When they add them, that they always find out that they are able to do God's will. 
Is that the case in our lives? And is there an issue with our closets? Can we bow our heads in prayer? And I'll just ask us to just use this minute to reflect on your own closet and just take out questions. Do you have a closet? And secondly, is it according to God's pattern? And thirdly, what is the quality of that closet? And you can grade yourself and rank your own closet however you want to. In Jesus' name we pray. Our God and Father, we thank you yet again, even for the next words you will speak to us this time. Father, guide us. But at the end of it all, Lord, may we not remain the same. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to quickly say that the various topics that we have been talking about so far, they've they all are very closely related. I'll be talking to us about pastoral care. I didn't think I was qualified to talk on this topic. But nevertheless, thank God for leading me through. Because I have also learned many more things as I prepared. Since we're talking about pastoral care, it's, it's good for us to actually know who a pastor is. Simply put, a pastor is every Christian leader. In other words, as we are gathered here today at this leadership forum, each and every one of us who is here is automatically a pastor. What is pastoral care? What is it really? What is it about? Is it the care given by the people or the sheep to their leaders? That's what many of us would have wished that it would be. So that we will be receiving from our people, from those who uh, we, are, we ought to be taking care of. But that's not what it is. So what then is it? Pastoral care. Simply put, is the care given by the pastor to the sheep. The question now is, how are we then, as pastors, expected to care for our sheep? Are we supposed to care like the good Samaritan? Would that be good enough and sufficient? I don't think so because some of the occupations we know in our generation, those who care, people who just wake up in the morning, they say they want to go to the motherless baby's home. And even those who have such homes and those who see people who are challenged on the road and they help them, they are good Samaritans. But they are not necessarily pastors and that is not necessarily pastoral care. In pastoral care, the distinct difference between it and being a good Samaritan, we will soon see that. Let's look at the scripture. Because we already have 
where the Bible talks about what a pastor should be like. The Bible compares a pastor to a shepherd. Let's look at Ezekiel chapter 34. Ezekiel 34. At least this will help us to know what the role of a pastor ought to be. It says, And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God to the shepherds, Woe to the shepherds of Israel who feed themselves. Shepherds are fed by God. No wonder David will say, The Lord is my shepherd. Should not the shepherds feed the flock? You eat the fat and clothe yourselves with wool. You slaughter the fatlings, but you do not feed the flock. The weak you have not strengthened, nor have you healed those who were sick. Nor bound up the broken, nor brought back what was driven away, nor sought what was lost, but with force and cruelty you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. What marks the shepherd out? It is care and care of souls. So unlike the good Samaritan, the shepherd, while he is caring and carrying out those activities of love, those little things that make positive impact, a hello, a how are you? Oh, do you still live there? Oh, you don't look happy today. Those little things. The ultimate target in shepherding is the care and care of souls. In other words, it is salvation that you must have at the back of your mind. That these, your flocks, ultimately, you want them to also make heaven. Praise the Lord. Scripture will say, wishing above all things, that these, your sheep, will prosper and be in good health, even as their soul prospereth. So there is intentional sharing of the gospel. This is a must that the shepherds must do. Compassion, therefore, is key for leaders and shepherds. Matthew chapter 9. What will Jesus say? Matthew 9.35 says, Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages teaching, I'm reading from verse 35, teaching in the synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them, because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. And he said to the disciples, The harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray, interventional, because he had compassion. The focus is on God. We need not be distracted while we are carrying out pastoral care. The sheep that we are taking care of, they have challenges, as we have seen where we read from Ezekiel. They have numerous challenges. Don't ever make the mistake of thinking that all the sheep have the same challenges. They all don't have the same challenges. Don't imagine that all the students that you see around, that their need is money. Or don't think that the person who is sick, that his need is necessarily medication. I remember one very serious mistake I made some time ago. Someone came to me and said, "Ah, uh, Please, Daddy, I have toothache. And I began to 
recommend prescriptions and give advice. By the time I had finished, the girl turned to me and said, Daddy, but what I want from you is prayer. That's one error that you must not make. You must be sensitive in the spirit. Be observant. If you are observant and sensitive, the Lord will lead you to knowing what exactly each and every sheep needs. In medicine, there's what we call triaging patients. If you come to an accident scene, for instance, who do you attend to first of all and how do you attend to the person? You need to have scale and, and observe and know. You have to have knowledge to know that it's not necessarily the one that is crying the most that has the most problems. Sometimes the one that is quiet is the one that needs the faster, the more urgent attention. So we must learn to sort our sheep. But then how can you sort the sheep if you do not know them? How will you sort your sheep? How will you be able to sort out the needs of those who are under you? Of the person sitting next to you? Of the person who all the time addresses you? Or the person who you all the time address? How will you know their needs if you do not know them? Jesus says, I know my sheep and my sheep know me. No wonder when he speaks, when he calls out, the sheep are able to identify him and they hearken to his voice. Be observant and sensitive. Sometimes I know I know a pastor, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot recall. But when offerings are going on, everybody else is dancing. He stands and watches the people dancing towards the offering box. And he's taking note who is present and who is not present. And after service, he picks up his phone and he says, I didn't see you in church today. Where were you? Be humble and accessible. Some of us, uh, because of what we think we are, we are, we just make ourselves inaccessible. Be ready to listen. Be ready to listen. Don't be in a hurry. Don't assume that you, like I said earlier, don't assume that you already know what the problem is. Okay, oh, you know that the problem is that now, oh, okay, Malugo, so you begin to wait and listen. Know their names. This is one place that I have, particularly me, I have really failed so much. And yet it surprises me because when we were in school those days, I used to know the names of all medical students, medical and dental students from year two to final year because we were doing politics. I used to know them by name. But today, just this small congregation, I find it very difficult to know the names, even of those who are directly under me. This is not good. And this is one area that we must ask the Holy Spirit to help us in. Sometimes, when you see the Venerable stand here and he says, uh, Mr. John, welcome you back from San Zopla. It's not that he all the time knows their names necessarily. But there are some things, I have, I have been close to him, so I know some things that he does. Sometimes he will come and he will call the pastor and say, please, that woman, what is her name? He will tell her. And then when he comes out here and he says, ah, Mr. John, we welcome you to today's service. We will say, wow, this our pastor is too much. The little things that make the difference, that matter. Please phone them. Phone them. Luckily, these days, we have free WhatsApp calls. Many of them are on WhatsApp, free calls. And yet, we find that we don't even phone. We find it difficult to call and say, I didn't see you in church today. Oh, how is that your son who you said was sick? Oh, you traveled. Oh, did you arrive there safely? Many of us are guilty of this. 
Praise the Lord. Don't worry, you are not alone in some of these things. But God will help us in Jesus' name. I remember one, something that happened just recently. I have been trying to call one of our members who had been away for quite some time out of the country. I made several calls, three times precisely. No response. I sent a WhatsApp message. No response. I, I, I said, well, I have tried. I have tried. But one, one, the, the, the Spirit of God just told me, why don't you send another text message, normal text message that will cost you 15 naira. So I typed the text message and I sent it across. If I knew it, a reply came. Oh, I didn't know it was you. Okay. And you could see the excitement even from the phone. Even from the message. Ask questions. Ask questions. Don't assume that you know. You know that because um, her husband is, is very rich. Or because you know that uh, the, the wife and the children are around. The children have no... Don't assume. Ask questions. Visit them. Praise the Lord. Visit. Visit them. Sometimes we think it takes a lot of time, it takes a lot of energy and stress to make these visits. But really, it depends on how you do the visits. I have also learned, sometimes you go to somebody's house and you sit down and you relax, and the person begins to go to the room, he goes to the room to go and get something, to go and get you wine or coke or something, five minutes will go before he comes out at all those protocols. Sometimes when you visit, you don't even need to sit down necessarily. Unless the Lord lays it in your heart that there is something you must hear or speak to this person about. Remember, lest I forget that in all these instances, irrespective of what the person's needs are, remember that prayer is a fundamental baseline for everybody who is under you. You must learn to pray with them and for them. Praise the Lord. There is a ready made triage template that we find in scripture, which I have already read to you. There's no point going back to it again. I have read it out to you, so we'll be looking at it one at a time, as quickly as we can go. There is need for the sheep, if you read through that Ezekiel. The sheep need to be fed with physical food. James chapter 2. Who say, hey, somebody is hungry, you come to him, you say, the peace of the Lord be with you. The Lord fill your stomach. It is insufficient. You must provide what? Food. You are the leader. You must provide food, no matter how little. No matter how much you can give. You must do what? Provide. Need to grow and be fed with spiritual food. They also need to grow and be fed with spiritual food. Those of them who are newly born again, they cannot continue to drink milk. They have to mature and begin to eat meat. And how will that happen? If you who are leaders are not able to feed them with the right kind of diet. Many of them, as we found in Ezekiel, will also be weak and weary. And I tell you, brethren, it depends really on what the weakness is from. Let I forget, when you are talking about feeding someone, whether spiritual food or physical food, it has to be, you know, those days we used to say balanced diet, but these days they say 
ideal diet, adequate diet, you need to know exactly what the person is lacking before you can give exactly that. For instance, it is not enough to lead somebody to pastures. The psalmist says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes him lie down in green pastures. So the pastures that are green, not just any pasture. So you need to also feed the person adequate meal, adequate message, adequate scripture of God to be able to uplift that person. Strengthen those who are weak and weary. Point them to Jesus. Let them know that they need to cast their burden on Jesus because he cares for them. And what about those who are sick, physically or spiritually? Visit them. Call them. Give them money. If the Lord lays it in your heart that this person may not have resources with which to buy his medications, give them guidance. Many of us here are medical persons. Give them guidance of where to get help from. And then pray with them for healing. Prayer is a constant. Some of them who are spiritually sick will also lead them by the word. Broken or depressed, you need to restore them and bind their wounds. If it is because of sin, previous sin, be like Barnabas, who was not afraid of Paul and was able to introduce him back to the disciples. If it is because the person has failed an exam, be encouraging. Be able to cite instances of people you know who had such challenges and yet they have been able to overcome it. Have they been cast out? Maybe because of sin. Please restore them. Like the uh, Psalm 23 will say, the Lord restores my soul. Are they lost? Seek them out. Recall the parable of the lost sheep and the lost coin. Look for them. Don't say, well, he really cannot be part of us. Let him go. He does. He's not serious. Don't be too quick. to. Otherwise, if Jesus had remained where he was in his throne and he didn't come down, we were also lost before he found us. Don't give up on these people. Scattered and they have wandered away. Be careful, brethren, how to restore them. And the things that you say to those who have wandered away. I recall an incident when I was in school. A boy and a girl who was in the choir, suddenly they began to cohabit. And when the pastor found out, I don't know what may have happened, I mean, before the matter came to the chaplain, but by the time he stood on the lectern making his announcement, right there and then, he declared that he was suspending them from the choir. And having said that in the church, the boy and the girl were, were, they were, they were blown away. And they left not just the choir, but the church. Till today, as at last year when I asked about them, their Christian life is still neither here nor there. So gather those who are scattered and show love to those who have wandered away. Prone to being devoured by challenges of life and false doctrines. Feed them the right diet. Otherwise, when they go away, 
they will hear the one that somebody else tells them which is falsehood because you have not spoken. Because you have not given them the ideal diet that they require. Are they afraid? If they are afraid, reassure them of safety and calmness even in this troubled world. Psalm 23 verse 4 and 5 says, Even though I walk through the valleys of shadow of death, I fear no evil, for thou art with me. Confused? Whether it is about faith or in marriage or whatever, remember, cancel them. Canceling is important. You cannot do without counseling when it comes to pastoral care. But in counseling, we must learn to be truthful. At the same time, remember we are not judging our brethren. We are not the judges. We are counseling them and trying to make them see the truth as it is in scriptures. And one common mistake that many of us make is thinking that you alone is the one who can help this brother. Remember, remember, don't be like Elijah who thought that he was the only one who was now around to help. You should not want to refer to somebody else when you are counseling. Oh, this person, I don't know. I really don't know which words now to use again. I don't know. I need to refer him to somebody else. And with his permission, you refer him to someone else who can be able to impact his life better. Praise the Lord. But never send them away empty. When it was time for Jesus to feed the 5,000 men plus X in Matthew chapter 14, his disciples said, send them away, let them go and get food. Never send them away empty. No matter what little you have, if it is don't, someone comes to you now and he has a need, he says, Daddy, my school fees, 30,000 naira. Never send him away. Praise the Lord. Jesus says the good shepherd even goes to the extra mile of laying down his life. We are not yet asking us to lay down our lives, but let's face it. There are things that being a good shepherd will cost you. One of them is money. We've talked about that. One of them is time. We've also mentioned this. But I want to say something about visits. I noticed that visits, first of all, the, common, the commonly visited people are one, those who have either a celebration or, 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 a, or they have a challenge. So we want to visit them. Or those who are newcomers who want to visit them. But there is a group of people who we always neglect without knowing it. And that's those who, it looks as if everything is going well for them. <laughs> no problem. He's not sick. He's not celebrating. He didn't give birth. And he's not new. So nobody pays him a visit. And before you know it, he's gone. He's no longer in the church. And by the time you see him again, or by the time you will notice that he has gone, is maybe when, um, if he's the one, who, if he's a song leader, you suddenly don't hear that kind of singing again. You begin to say, ah, but there used to be one sister A or sister B. Praise the Lord. It will cost us knowledge. You need to know the scripture. It will cost us. Spiritual knowledge is also important. Because how can the, how can the blind lead the blind? It's, it's just not possible. So we must continue to dwell on God's word. And I tell you, each day you, you get a revelation from God, there is somebody who that word is meant for. And you will meet him. If not that day, then the next day. Embarrassment. Embarrassment. 
a pastor once noticed that a sister didn't seem to have so many clothes. Good ones for that matter. And so he goes home and tells his wife, please, I want you to bring some of your clothes since we may not be able to buy any, some, some, some more now. Let me give to so-so and so sister. And he takes those clothes and he calls the sister and gives them to her. And the sister says, no, I don't wear clothes that people have worn before. No, 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 please. I'm sorry to embarrass you, but I'm sorry. It has cost you an embarrassment, but what about that? Could you have been more embarrassed than Jesus, who being God himself was flawed for our sake, was beaten, was spat on for our sake? Would you stop because of that? But how can we do all this? How is it that we will be able to do all this? So many things for us to do. The truth is, it is not about us. When God was sending Moses to Pharaoh, Pharaoh was saying, but I am this, I am that. I am not capable, I am not capable. Who am I that you are asking me to do this? I was expecting God to say, you are Moses, the son of this, the son of that, the grandson of... God said, I am with you. So it is not really about you. It is about the man who is behind you. The God that is behind you. And remember, Psalm 23 verse 1 says, that the Lord is the shepherd of the shepherd. David, who was writing, was a shepherd himself. And he says, I shall not want. And I hope those of you who did economics, you know what wants are. I shall not want. Many of us, one other thing that we do is that we ask God, God, please, it is not me. We sing that song, God, send another Elijah to bring the fire down. Send you know the song very well. To heal the sick, raise the dead. But the Lord is saying to us today, you are that Elijah. He doesn't need to send another Elijah. If you look around very well, you will find that same widow of Zarephath. She is still there. Possibly sitting next to you. You will see that hungry Lazarus. Possibly sitting in front of you. And you will see the adulterous woman. Possibly sitting at the back. She may not even have courage to come and sit in front. Who then will care for them? They are still in our midst today. Or maybe you want to sing the song. God send another Elijah. But remember. In Matthew chapter 9 when Jesus had compassion. He told the disciples, pray to the Lord of harvest to send more laborers. And it surprised me that immediately, what did he do? He didn't wait for the prayer for God to send new people. He sent the same disciples who he asked to pray for laborers. And he said, go, heal the sick, care for the people, take care of the sheep. Brethren, in conclusion, I want to say that... Whether we like it or not. Ultimately, one day, that sister will have a need to go for Omogwa. That brother will have a need to go and answer a higher calling. Or he will be transferred. One day, certainly, that venerable professor will not be here. He will be somewhere else doing greater things for God. And when that time comes, I want to ask you a question. The sheep that sit on these chairs, these chairs, these ones, look at them, look around and see the chairs. 
who will look after them? Who will tend them? Let us pray. Lord, I would own thy tender care and all thy love to me. The food we eat, the clothes we wear, all bestowed by thee. Such goodness, Lord, and constant care, I never can repay. You can't repay God's love, but... May it seem my daily prayer to love thee and obey. Of a truth, brethren, we cannot repay God for his benefits and for his love. He is our own shepherd. If it were not for him, many of us would not have the privileges we have today of being leaders, of having sheep under us. Jesus told Peter, he said, Peter, Tend my sheep. Peter, feed my flock. Jesus is telling us today, Tend my sheep. Feed my flock. Don't ignore them. For you cannot repay me with anything else. I have taken care of you first. Take care of the sheep. Talk to the Lord at this time. And tell the Lord to give you a change of heart. To make you a different person. To make you have compassion and love with which to show pastoral care, leadership care, to the sheep which otherwise would perish. Talk to the Lord and ask for his help. Such goodness, Lord, and constant care. I never can repay. But may it be my daily prayer to love thee and obey. Are you willing to obey the Lord from today henceforth? Are you willing not to turn the other way when you know that a brother is going through challenges? Or are you willing to be different and care for the souls of the sheep under your watch. Father, we give you thanks and praise. Thank you, Lord, for speaking to us today and for making us realize that you are our shepherd. That we can do all things in giving, in caring through Christ who strengthens us. Lord, thank you because we will not cease to love and to obey your words from today henceforth. In Jesus' name we have prayed. In Jesus' name we have prayed. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. We want to thank God for the time we have had hearing the three different topics built for this leadership forum. We want to further our reflection as we prepare for the time of interaction, singing hymn 607. And as we sing this hymn, 
I don't just want us to run through the words like that. We are making a commitment. And look at it very well. God is not a usurper. He's not asking anything that he didn't give us. He's not asking for a life that is not his own. So as we sing this hymn, I see us responding to God in the things that he is challenging us to do. Let us arise as we sing hymn SSNS. 607. Call on the chaplain, Venerable Professor who will anchor the time of interaction. And the other speakers are Brother Bolu and uh, Dr. Onoka, as well as uh, Reverend Okeke. Thank you. I want to thank uh, Mike, Allahulu, and then. Mrs. Nanyabianuka, who are leadership for our coordinators for helping us thus far. The Lord bless your faithfulness in Jesus' name. If you look at that hymn we sang, Consecrate me now to your service, Lord, by the power of grace divine. So it's not by your power. It's not by your might. No man can do it well enough, faithfully, by your own wisdom. It's by his enablement. That's why we're here. Let my soul look up with a steadfast hope and be lost in yours. It's about doing God's will and fulfilling it. Oh, the pure delight of a single hour that before your throne I spent. That's the quality closet time. The time of receiving. The equipping. When I kneel in prayer and with you, my God, I commune as friend with friend. I pray that the Lord, as we have asked, will make us his own, will make us hear his voice, and we will long to rise and be drawn closer to him in service in Jesus' name. Praise the Lord. And like as we have heard earlier on, we will not just tell stories. We will live with the glory of God like Moses to impact better, more, and richer in Jesus' name. While our brother, Engineer Bolu, comes up, Dr. Chima comes up, and the Reverend Dr. Akeke come up, we thank God for using you and making you a resource person. Our point today is not really in preaching. It's not to just preach away. It's not even teaching. Teach deep truths. And then let people just copy notes. And that's why we limited the timing. Just brought areas of expectations from us that God requires. And uh, if you look at those three topics, 
faithfulness in service, the closest time of the leader and the quality of leadership have a relationship. And then the pastoral care. They are telling us three main things God is requiring of us as we serve him. The expectation of heaven. The expectation from us. The expectation from our brethren. Expectation. Faithfulness in service. Expanding. Fruitfulness. Increasing. Depths. And First Corinthians 4 verse 2 says, It is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. Of every other thing God is asking for, let faithfulness, diligence be there. Secondly, we find the equipping. How do you get equipped to do a job that God is the owner and the people that God is their God? On your own, you can't do it. The equipping. The third E is the effort, the pastoral care. Expectation, the equipping, and the effort, the activity, the doing thereof. I pray the Lord they will bring results in our life in Jesus' name. I'm not meant to preach, and I wasn't inclined to preach, but I will set your minds true. We will ask questions. We will ask questions based on the things we have heard, clarified, pointed clearer. We can address them to each of the areas where they led us on. You can ask questions. You can add more. You can share with us to deepen our hearts and our knowledge. That's an important aspect of this area. But more importantly, we will also interact on areas where you are finding difficult as a servant, a steward, in leadership, challenges that we encounter. Wherever we are and time stops us, most importantly, we will pray. And that's where we get the equipping. And I pray the Lord that we would have turned the whole of this into a solemn assembly and pray all through. But these nuggets are also important to us. So, if you have your questions, if you need areas to share with us, clarifications, feel free to so do. When time is up with us, we'll stop there. But we'll pray. And we ask God to deepen these things and impact us in the name of Jesus Christ. But to keep our focus clear, where are we here today? It's not just to fulfill a program in the chapel's uh, timetable. That we must have leadership forum at least two times a week. It may be part of it. But if it were, it would be a routine. We will just each time keep going round and round. And at the end, we will discover there is no more blacksmith in Israel. Nothing more. So we start reinventing topics. Each time there is a need to get God. Puts in us the purpose, the perspective, and the things he is asking us to do. And that is by looking at what God has made us. What do I mean by that? Leadership is the art. That's the simplest, the commonest definition. The art, the process of influencing a group of people to willingly accomplish a purpose, to willingly achieve a task, to willingly fulfill an objective. 
must leadership define. And by that, every one of us, even if you have no designation as this post or that post, is a leader because you can influence lives. But in our own context as Christians, as servants of God, we have said that it's not just the leadership of uh, I have been instructed, I have been directed. You just pass on a message and remain where you are. We remember that it comes at a price and with an effort. And so First Thessalonians chapter 2 will tell us what the purpose is. What the goal that everyone whom we are leading over and we ourselves are aiming to achieve. Those who haven't yet come in and those who are already in. And First Thessalonians 2.19 will say, For what is our hope, our joy, our crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? For you are our glory and our joy. In other words, the common purpose that you are leading over people to achieve is that they may make heaven. Is that they may make heaven together with you and I. Because Moses led the children of Israel to the promised land. Did he enter? No. Leadership has that. It cost him that. He didn't enter. So, that's the purpose. That's the leadership in a Christian perspective. That's all that God is asking us to do. Not just aimlessly. There's a purpose. Make that live. And that's why we keep stating here. Our expectation, our goal, our target, is that everyone here becomes a candidate, not just for heaven, but to make heaven at last in the name of Jesus Christ. And Paul emphasized that in Colossians 1.29, and says, we preach Jesus. We focus on him. We look at him as a mother. And we warn every man, we teach every man, we exhort every man, we have leadership for her, we come together to pray. We do these activities in all wisdom. What is our goal? To present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. To present whoever has been given under our care and those who are associated with us mature unto God. And verse 29 he says, because of this, I also labor, striving. So there's a labor, my brethren. There's a striving according to his working, but it is him who works in us mightily. So we have the expectation to get people to heaven, qualify them, purify them, get ourselves together with them. We have the equipping here, and we have also the efforts. We labor. And this we believe God to help us do in Jesus' name. So what do we do today? We expect God. At the end of this talk, at the end of these questions, at the end of the interaction, we'll pray. We'll do what God has asked us to do. That we share body ministry. That's part of the things we were minded to with regards to here. That leadership does not devolve around just one person just around the pastors, just around the chaplains. That's the reason why the preachings are not all just by preachers, by the chaplains. That's the reason why anybody here who can be a vessel 
can stand preaching and can be an effective tool in every area. Our expectation today as we pray and why we are leaders to do body ministry, able ministers for God, is what you see in Numbers 11. Please stand there with me. I'll just point at them and then we can ask the questions so that your heart will also have been deepened to say, God, the things you've asked me to do, equip me to do them and let the Spirit also rest upon us mightily and he will answer us and make us better as we live in Jesus name Numbers 11 look at verse 16 the Lord said to Moses gather to me 70 men of the elders of Israel whom you know to be the elders of the people gather the leaders gather them and officers over them Bring them to the tabernacle of the congregation. That's why we are here. That they may stand there with you. They will stand shoulder to shoulder. They will sit with you. You will not come alone to Mount Sinai. All of you together. Why did God say that? Moses had come to a point and said in verse 14. I'm not able to bear all these people alone. No one can. It's God's work. And so he says, bring many others, those whom you know to be the elders, officers, bring them, that they may stand there with you. So we are standing and sitting shoulder to shoulder. And what did God say he will do? He says he will repeat, verse 17, and I will come down and talk with you there. And I will take of the spirit which is upon you and will put it upon them. And they shall bear the burden of the people with you, that you bear it not yourself alone. May the Lord put his spirit upon each one of us, equipping us today in serving in the name of Jesus Christ. That's why we are here. Shared leadership, body ministry, and serving together. Look at verse 24. Moses went out and told the people of the words of the Lord, Gather the seventy men of the elders of the people, set them round about the tabernacle. That's what we have done. And the Lord came down in a cloud. That's what we are expecting. And spoke to him, and took of the spirit that was upon him, and gave it unto the seventy elders. He will do it with you and me in Jesus' name. He will do it with me, you and I, in the name of Jesus. And it came to pass that when the Spirit rested upon them, they prophesied and did not cease. Even those who were in the camp and didn't join them also had the Spirit with them upon their measure. And even when Joshua said, no, Moses, please stop them. Moses said, what are we talking about? We are looking for people who can bring men and women under this care, under this church and beyond to heaven. With God that all did what? Prophesy. That's a desire that we have. That everyone will be an instrument that God will use to impact his blessing upon the life of others. And no qualms about it. And may the Lord equip you and I, resting his spirit afresh upon each one of us today in the name of Jesus Christ. And that's why we are here. Second Timothy 2 Timothy 2.2 the things you have heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit to 
faithful men who will be able to teach others also. For generations, the things you have heard of me, you who are hearing, you are capable. My spirit rests upon you. I equip you afresh. Those same things do what? Commit to faithful people. Raise them also to become faithful who will stand in their own strength. So pass them on. Pass them on. Use your giftedness as God equips you. Lead in your area of giftedness. That's usually the secret, I prefer. Use your area of giftedness. If God has gifted you in prayer, use it for your leadership role. If it is in reaching out, use it for your leadership role. If it is in scriptures, use it for your leadership role. If it is in encouragement, use it. Stand in your area of giftedness. And then be able to raise others also. Thirdly, as we have also heard, that's why we talked about expectation. And that's why we talked about the equipping that God says he wants to do. And then the effort, the activity. That passage has been well exposed. Proverbs 27-23 Be thou diligent to know the state of thy flocks. Be thou what? Diligent to know the state of thy flock and look well to thy heads. Maybe let's say it in two or three other versions. This King James I have read. Be diligent Put time, put effort. Paul said that's why we labor. Put your own effort now. Equip, expectation, be diligent to know your flock and their state. Can we hear another version? What version? NIV. Be sure you know the condition of your flock. Give careful attention. Don't just do it anyhow. Don't do it haphazardly. You want to bring them to me? You want to pass on to others who will be faithful? Do it diligently. Give careful attention. Because there's a purpose in doing that. And there's also a giving and equipping and leading in doing that. Any other version? That's NIV we read. Just for the emphasis, are we all the NIV and King James here? Okay. Another will say, take time to know the state of your flock. Put effort. And I pray that the Lord will find that in you and myself in Jesus' name. Don't be a leader who says, let them not say. I won't hurt anybody. Let them not say I said. So you see nothing, you say nothing. You hear nothing. That's the kind of leadership we have in the world. But that's not the leadership that God is asking of. It commits you. It makes you in there. Know them. The Reverend Dr. Zibike has said, a chaplain will whisper and say, what's the name of that person? That's one way. Especially if it's on Sunday. But the other times, I have more embarrassing ones. All the who sings in the choir, on Saturday, before the wedding, I had to ask her her name three times. She will say once. And I come again to her and say, Sorry, I've forgotten. I've got your son in Abu. Tell me the other. She will say again. 
And then she will rub in her choir gown because she was the one who came first. And I wanted to at least now remark her. I will now ask, ah, where are you? Are you working here? Are you a student here? Please remind me the name. At that time, I did that one. And I've done it with many of you. And I will say, please permit me. Forgive me. What's the name again? I'll tell you my name is Sam. And I, it does something for me. After a while, it does what? It sticks. So, take time. Make effort. It may not mean anything in just knowing somebody's name. But it goes some way to know I am not anonymous. My leader knows me. And my leader can relate with me. And he can perhaps pray for me. It makes breaks the barriers already. So, let the Lord help us as we go through this and bless us. As we are talking about leadership and the people, it's not about the position. It is about how far will the people God has asked me to be under. And then what am I doing and how far with what God has imputed in me. May the Lord put his spirit upon each one of us afresh in the name of Jesus Christ. And may the Lord strengthen you. And may the Lord equip you. And may the Lord make you diligent, not only to know your own state, so that you can receive of him, but to also know the state of your flock and give careful attention in whatever dimensions. That we can present them acceptable unto God. And we would have done our own and say, God, thank you. I pray that that will be the outcome of what God is doing with us today. In Jesus' name. And so you're welcome. Particularly as the church is growing, as at the last count, if I'm not mistaken, we have reached 759 in registration. We have. But that's just not in registration because we know there are people who are in school. There are people who are outside working. But virtually each Sunday now, for the past two, three or more Sundays, we have reached 600 in worship. More than that, put together. The adult service, more than 400, averagely. So that's quite a number that has grown. And you know, it's easier to usually know a smaller group of people perform with zeal. When people begin to grow and grow more, they become anonymous. You take certain things for granted and you can drop your guard. So if there's any time when we need God to have our attention, to give careful attention to what he has asked us to do, not with our own power, but as we will pray later on, with the enablement of the Spirit, it is now. And may he find you and I a faithful servant in Jesus' name. We are not dwelling on the reward, but we also saw from where we read today that there is a time of reward. It doesn't necessarily wait till eternity. It starts here. As you stand out where God puts you walking, he makes you stand out where he has also a need for you. That's a personal testimony I usually have. The little effort and the little time and the little things that I have doing on the things of God usually have a way of having a bounce back on my professional life. Busy doing it with all your heart and sincerity and God clears the way for you. God gives the understanding. God gives the wisdom and diligence. So those things that people put effort in trying to meet one person or the other, in trying to do with their human strength, God already does them. Because you've taken care. So you don't lose out. But may we diligently walk with him and fulfill expectation of heaven and of the church on our lives in Jesus' name.
So, if you have questions now, please feel free. If you have also some sharing to do with us, but let us be better equipped. Let us be better prepared. Let gray areas grow so we can be effective on us. If you have questions, clarifications, please raise your hand. We'll start with uh, Harrison. Yes. Um, thank you, sir. Please, um, my question is for the first speaker. Um, first speaker is uh, Brother Bolo. Yes, on um, faithfulness and service. Um, my question is, uh, I believe that this leadership forum a kind of is it should equip us even in the in other greater responsibilities in society um it is whereby something is said about someone should be a kind of faithfulness means increasing in, in influence alright otherwise it necessarily would have to change status quo's so whereby you are being led to effect a change and Status quo is very, very rigid, or even it's a constitution. Do you actually contend with that status quo, or do you decline that responsibility? Okay, the second question is, um, if you are, if you find yourself in a particular group, and you really want to, um, bring people to, to a kind of, because you talked about, um, effective or being faithful leadership is also entails that, when you're not there, or when you are kind of getting old, there are protégés that should carry on that responsibility as much as you could have done it. Okay, but your standard is very high that people around you cannot cope with it. And you really want to carry more people around. Do you actually step down in that standard or do you allow them to go? Praise God. Okay, thank you, Harrison. Praise God. Hallelujah. I have three questions. The first question is, Dr. Chema informed us that um, in our closets, that's where we get instruction and direction, and as well we are informed to carry on our leadership role effectively. And um, I have had people ask me, how do I hear from God? Is it that every time that God wants to speak to you, he, an angel appears as he did for Paul? Uh, we really want to know, you know the ways to hear from God. Then the second question is from the um, from the teaching on the pastoral care. Um, said okay, where are vulnerable in Proverbs say be sure you know the condition of your flock. And if on several occasions that a particular person you have noticed um, maybe her countenance or uh, the way she attends programs. I want to know really what has been the challenge, and the person has refused to open up to you. What do you do? Then, thirdly, the last question is in the issue of growing in numerical strength, like the first speaker shared, and um, using young people's fellowship as a unit, where we have been challenged on several occasions to grow in numerical strength. And considering the, the environment we are in, student environment, and um, we have many fellowships, and people belong to at times two or more of the fellowships, and knowing the condition of the academic strength and pressure here, and um, you you see them actively participating in the school fellowships, and maybe once or twice they. Tend not to appear in the church fellowship. 
Um, what do you have to do as regarding that particular challenge? Praise God. Okay. He's, he's passing their mandate to you. So now lead them in the young people. Any other person who has now remembered there's a question or clarification? While they take this round. Yes. Okay. Please go ahead. Thank you. Uh, one of them is a prayer point um, and an observation, maybe even linked to what uh, he just shared. Mm. Um, people are very busy. That's been my observation. Um, maybe more so here in Enugu than even in Lagos. They're so mm. busy. I can't believe how busy people are. And um, so the prayer is for God to help us discern because we know one thing is needful. And again, we need to know what is seek first the kingdom. What is that one thing? I, I just find, I don't know how people manage it. And I'm sure something, some balls are being dropped somewhere. Like he's saying, school fellowship, uh, this fellowship, there must be one that God wants you to attend. It mustn't be the one in the church. So what is it that informs? Sometimes I have to say, I won't go for this. I won't go for that. Because there's so many activities. Just so I can have time with my children. Just so I can have quiet time. Because if you try and attend everything, I think last week, there was something for parents here. And I know I could have come because I was at work. I got the text. I said, no. Because I know this same week I'm coming to midweek. This same week I'm doing Bible study prep. One of the weeks he called me, uh, Dr. Chima, because I didn't come on Sunday because I was exhausted. I was here on Monday. I was here on Wednesday. I was and No, I can't function like that. So I don't know how people manage. So prayer points. God should help us discern what is needful. It can't be right that we're doing everything. Children, husband, family, church attendance. And then the other one I, I, that kept coming to me when I was listening was excellent spirit. I just want to share that. There must, you know, when you talk of pastoral care, when you talk of everything, you know, faithfulness, God is looking for that more, that excellent spirit, which really when you're talking of is love. There's something that is more than logic, more than a list of do's and don'ts. And when you operate in that excellent spirit, you even excel in what you felt, you know, because I have young girls helping me at home, and sometimes the way they operate, I correct them, but I realize it's not their fault. They're not operating in that zone. They're, they're fulfilling. They've done what they ought to do according. But when they do it in a more, in a, in a loving way, they exceed even what I'm telling them to do. So we're all capable of that. That's all. Thank you very much. It's a real revelation that people are busier in Enugu than in Lagos. Everybody usually is busy. But that's a useful contribution. Isn't that so? We'll start with Paulo. Um... I will take the two, quest- two questions. I think they are together. Changing status quo. Um, and um, growing in number, which is also about the same thing. I want to respond. Um, Dr. Chima had said that there's good for us to be able to discover basic principles. There's a difference between a formula and an example. When you have a formula in mathematics, it applies to several examples. You must trust God to be able to discover the basic formula. Now, when you step into a place, first is to ask God, is this the place you want me to be? And what do you want me to do here? It is easy to go somewhere else and see something and come to want to paste it, to cut and paste where you are. It may not work. Discover where you are and discover what God wants you to do there and how he wants you to do it in a way that you are doing it well and you are increasing in it. That's, that's what I want to say. So 
don't struggle with the structure. All of us can't function everywhere. There's a particular time to be in a place. Discover why you are in that place, what you are to do in that place, and how you are to do it. There are things that you need to discover from the presence of God. What you are to do, how you are to do it, is something so that you don't end up struggling with already existed leadership. Now, talk with leadership. Talk with people. Say, can we do this? Don't just be scared to think that they will, you will be told no. Find out. Just draw close and say, can we do this? And you discover, ah, we never saw it like this. Okay, go ahead. Once you are sure, go ahead. Don't be afraid. Try. Let it be that you were turned down. Try again. Say it another day. Try it again. Talk to somebody maybe higher than the unit you are in. Or say, I'm thinking of this. It looks like it won't work here. And they said, no, it may be able to, um, it may be able to work now, I don't know whether the issue is that your standard is high or people's standard, somebody else's standard is high for you to relate to it. First, I discover that many times you think people's standards are high because you have seen them from outside. It's still the issue of fear and timidity and you just must fight fear. You must be able to get into people. If people's standards are very high, you dis- are those standard standards I should operate with, you try to raise the bar. If it's your own standard, and you are really working with the Spirit of God, you will know when to pull, to come down and pull people up. Um, the first time I, I, I came around and got very close to a venerable, I discovered that he was, his standard was quite high, and I just... If I'm to invite him for a program, I'm so scared, I'm so, we must start on time, we must, and I was, I just, one day told myself, I can't keep working like this. I need to draw closer, I need to release, I need to do the wrong thing, let me be corrected. And I just discovered that I was able to relate much more better and tap resources from that person. So I think we really need to work against fear and timidity. In addition to leadership stretching for their hands, when you need something and you know it's in somebody's and also stretch forth. Break the barriers and stretch forth and see how God will help you. Now, growing in number, I just wanted to talk about looking outside the box. Um, our auntie has spoken about people primary finding their primary assignment and focusing on it. But I tell you that there's a lot here that you cannot estimate. If you look outside and we are not called SUTH to Chapel Student Fellowship. It's a young people's fellowship. If you just look outside this environment, you may just discover that we have a large field. The students who come into the campus and identify with different fellowships, they can't be bigger than their fellowship or the students they have. What I mean is ASF can be Anglican Students Fellowship. It just has to be the students on this campus. But we are, we, are, we are boundless here. And I think the youth forum needs to begin to look out. One of the first issues that if a young person, maybe just hanging around, comes to church and sees all the cars packed out, you will first be intimidated. This doesn't look like a church for me. <laughs> On a Sunday, sometimes the cars can almost be as, as much as the number of people inside here. The person is intimidated first. It's the young people's fellowship that can help maybe look out for the shop register. 
look out for people outside the campus and let's reach them. And you'll be shocked that we will begin to have outreaches into corners. You will discover that there are serious places here that we can reach out. So let's look outside the box, look outside the campus, and you will see that we'll start growing by God's grace. Thank you, Bolu. And uh, just like uh, what you say in relating to students, find why you are there. And the things I usually tell the students, you have four, five, six years to be a student. When you are there, make the most of it. They require you in your hometown church. They require you in this fellowship. Be active in one. You can't be more active in more than one because of your time. And then have a focus. You won't have too much on your hands. By the time you've left three, four, five years, you have made an impact. Some more impact has been made on you. And maybe like you said to the young people, let them look outside the box and just look beyond the restraints and see the opportunities. I think I'll stop there. Thank you. Chima. Um, Just to strengthen that a bit, it is possible that more than half of those who on a Sunday that stand up when you say all the young people should stand up are not students here. We can actually do something about those people. They don't show up midweek and they also won't show up during the young people's service uh, meetings. We can look for them. I'm just trying to emphasize on the point that I made. They are here on Sundays. Perhaps we should focus on them because of course, many people who are in the campus here are engaged in many things, and there's a limit to which they can actually be stretched, whether during the week, weekends, and all that. But perhaps it also doesn't like a comment that was made. I think it's always important not to um, explain other people's activities based on my own. For instance, I know I'm quite busy with a lot of things, but that doesn't make me assume that other people are as busy. Um, it's always nice to ask and find out from each person has. There are people that even if you set programs every day here, they will show up because of certain things that are going on in their lives and their homes. And it varies, but we can't use one to you know, explain for everybody. It, it really varies. Like, the day I called um, Ekene, and I didn't see them on a Wednesday and then Sunday in the teen church, so I called her ahead of the next Wednesday. I think it was something like that. And she just told me what, why they were not around. And it was very clear. I understood it. It was the kind of thing that, is the kind of thing that I also have, I do, from time to time, and um, it's very important. So, but having said that, I also I want to deal with the issue that was raised it's about hearing from God, and just to say that quickly that I mean the most important and all the time is the Scripture. What God has, what God has written, the word that is here. The things that were said by men and the things that even the devil said are written inside this Bible. It's a mix of the three. 
God's own word, the one that men said that he allowed to be written by his inspiration, and the ones that the devil said that he allowed to be written, they are all inside this book that we have. And it gives us a clear instruction about how the interaction between God, man, and the devil, and which is what we face every day. Somebody asked me, there was an issue a few days ago, and the person said, "Ah, how do I really know that there was somebody, and he said the person is part of a ministry and all that. So I asked one, two questions. I said, is there a church? He said, well, it's a ministry. I asked one question. When was the last time they led people to Christ in that place? You find in most of those prayer houses, you will not hear somebody, you will not hear, there will be no emphasis on leading people to Christ. When it is not there, it is not in line with the content of the scriptures. Run for your life. No matter how many miracles are found there, you are in a place, you are in the den of lions. Full stop. Simply because what is written gives us a standard to we, on which to judge every other thing we hear from dream, from somebody that may be an angel, whatever voice, anywhere. The one we hear that may even sound like God's own. Even the devil can appear like an angel of light. But it flows in line with the scriptures. The biggest issue with our hearing is that we may not have studied the Bible enough to now judge anything we hear against it. And so sometimes we start jumping with anything we hear. But once this is grounded in our hearts, it's easier to deal with any other voice. That's no problem. They will come. But we can always count on this. So that's the emphasis I wanted to make. Thank you. Thank you, Chima. How do you know it's God speaking to you? How do you hear God? A big area, but it's practical. Starts. Starts sincerely. And pray about that issue. Something with living by every word of God. He cannot lead you wrongly. Just like we are saying, you pray for the Holy Spirit, He will not give you an evil spirit. And whatever God will tell you, and whatever your heart is deciding on, will not run contrary to the scriptures. There will be peace in your heart. There will be clarity there. When it's not clear, go back again. With a sincere heart, you will know, you will hear, and grow in that. Just like Samuel did in the temple, until he was guided aright, and he didn't make that mistake. I'm sure we can stop there to watch him, I have said. Yes, Zubia. Praise the Lord. Rachinidu was asking, he says, someone that has a challenge, you are sure the person has a challenge, and you've been working with the person, working on the person, trying to make the person open up to you, but he or she has refused to open up, what do you do? Well, I want to just simply say that we, we need to continue to show love to people. You know, it, it is not people don't open up to you automatically. It is the love that you show that breaks the heart of people and makes people develop trust in you. Someone once said that nothing ever built suddenly grew to touch the skies unless a man dreamt that it may. 
Another man felt that it could. Another man wished that it must. So you will continue. You will not just give up. And then, if I use an analogy, for instance, like animals. If you get an animal from someone else, for instance, the animal will not be obeying you like he was obeying the former person. If you say, come, he will not come. But by the time you start feeding this animal, showing care and love, that love will make the animal to suddenly know that you look, you love him and he, will, he or she will begin to open up to you. So the Christian life that we live is just what will make people open up to us. And remember that in all of this, prayer is key. Prayer is key. You can't underestimate the power of prayer. And if you do all this and it still does not work, continue to live the Christian life. One day, the person will open up to you. Praise the Lord. Hello. And just to add, you pray, you show love, concern, you don't stop because there's a, a wall. You, Israel, if really there's a problem and you're a leader, those higher than you, you share. That's part of leadership. That's delegation. You're an activity group leader, fellowship leader. You say, please, I think there's a problem with Brochinedu. I've done all I can to get him open up. I just want to bring it to your attention. And we've had a number of such cases. Sometimes you're phoning right away. Sometimes you're saying, okay, tell him to see me or something. Or you're doing it indirectly. So you also don't drop your guard while you keep praying, asking the Holy Spirit to open up the person. Because you want to be of a help, you also... Report to one who is higher than you, so that it is a shared responsibility, and see where God can get the person's attention. Praise the Lord. Any other? As leaders, don't ever give up, especially in reaching out. We said one way of knowing people's names. You ask them. You phone. You look at the register. It's here. I do all that. And then he also stands. Sometimes I deliberately go asking, please tell me your name. Please, where do you live? Please, where do you work? I remember some. I don't remember others. Eventually, I may have to get at them. The name comes on your phone, just like we've heard. Let the leadership not just be on the days you meet at the zone, at the activity group level, or here. No. There are other ways of reaching out. You ask yourself, the members in my ICT group, those in prayer, those in the first timers, how many of them do I know? One on one. Beyond that, you can ask, what is their situation like? Where does it really work? Where does it live? So that's a way of evaluating ourselves and now seeing where we do fall short. You have your own needs and burdens, but like our sister, you can observe. There's a way of also being accountable to God. What I do a number of times, after several days, I say the activities I've been doing Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. What have they been on? Sometimes it is more teaching hospital work. Other times it may be more medical students, lecture. Some other times it may be more church work. Some other times it may be perhaps very little family work. Some other times, it may just be being busy and not caring for souls. So it helps you to evaluate and balance up. I've given more to where I'm working in the office. I've given more this week to where I'm appointed. I've not done anything in my area of God's responsibility. What do I do? 
On Friday, I had to stop and say, every Friday I come to the clinic at teaching hospital, volume of patients seen. No. So I looked out, looked out, say, students, go and see others. And looked out for one of the patients at least, whom I can take time and speak about the gospel, witness to, lead her to Christ. And say, now, I've made prescription for you, but this is a more important one. So you stop in your track like we had, evaluate yourself, where am I putting all the efforts to reading, studying, work, what have I done in this area? It puts you back and you can now balance out there. So finally, can we have our brother speak on and then tell us who your question is to or whether it's just a clarification. Okay. It's a clarification. You did say that our purpose as leaders is to bring men to the kingdom of heaven, which is true. But there are things I feel we cannot measure based on our activities, the things we do. The Bible also tells us in Romans 1.5 that as leaders we received grace and apostleship for the obedience of the faith. On a Sunday, we can measure people coming to this church. We see the time they come. Very many people come late to church. Very many come late. And there are some other things if we look well, we can also measure in our lives. My question is, we cannot measure that of taking people to heaven. We cannot measure it. St. Paul was able to measure it in Philippians chapter 4 verse 2 about people whom he said that their names were written in the book of life. But very few of us can say that about the people we are grooming. Whether this person is truly born again. Whether he will make it to heaven. My, my question or burden is, is there nothing we can do to, for instance, for the apostles, they lived lives that made even the people they were pastoring to be effective candidates of heaven. God gave them gifts. They could heal people. They could raise the dead. They could preach and preach and thousands be saved. And so on. They did things that were very, very measurable too. And that we see that in our life, in our own time, we lack such ability, truly speaking, we lack such ability as leaders. People get sick, we pray for them, they don't even get well. We know these things, and so on. Is there nothing we can do to change this status quo as leaders? Is there nothing we can do to if he's returning to God, that, that his glory comes back to the church, his power comes back to us, that we do things that people will fear, that people will know God is in our midst, and so on and so forth. Thank you, Engineer Dan. That's our burden, that the same spirit will be shared. We don't want people to fear necessarily. We want the awe of God to do what? down on the people, and each of us has a part to play there. And we had said 
operate in your area of giftedness. So let God deepen those gifts and let God manifest them and walk in those areas. That's the desire and burden of every leader who is here. And may the Lord cause that to happen in our midst, in our days, in the name of Jesus. We want to thank our brothers, Bolu, Chima, and Zubi, for being obedient to us as the rest of us join in to pray. God bless you. As we close, let's use a few moments to talk to God concerning every aspect of this leadership training. We started with the question, what can we do to be more effective? We were given a challenge that faithfulness is demanded of us. We may have excuses for not being faithful. When we say we are very busy, can we really tell God that? Begin to talk to God. We were told the three things that help us to be faithful and the hindrances to faithfulness. Are there any of them that you have identified in your life? Are there any obstacles to faithfulness? Are there any lessons that you have learned to encourage you to become faithful? Are you really faithful in the things of God? If you scored your faithfulness to God against your faithfulness to pleasure, which would have a higher mark? If you scored your faithfulness to God with your faithfulness to that which puts bread on your table, which will have a higher mark? God today has spoken specific things to us. Is there any that touches you? Are we caring? Or do we think that we are not pastors? Are we supposed to be visited and not to visit? To be prayed for and not to pray? Do we believe that everybody, nobody is caring about us? How many people have you prayed for this year? Visited this year? Or are you not a pastor? Let's begin to talk to God. Many areas have been challenged. And finally, Engineer Dan threw a question. Why has revival tarried? Why are we not seeing revival in our midst? Why is there no fire in the altar? Let's talk to God. We will not live here as we came in. There are issues we must tell God, this is what I learned today, and this is what I am going to affect in my life. As a change. If you had nothing. And there is nothing to change. 
that this meeting has been a failure. Are we not here? You are only here in body. The same changes you make from here will affect your secular life. Talk to God. Lord, this is what I want to change. We were told that we cannot live a life without goals. A lot of us live goalless lives. And so our closet is dry because there is nothing to pray about. How is your closet? What is the content of your daily prayers? What kind of closet do you have? Is it good night, Lord, and good morning? Or is it, Lord, give me bread, and after you give me bread, let me fly in the air? How is your closet? Are there specific changes you will make this day? In these few minutes that are left, it is a time to reflect. It's a time to chew the cord, to ground in the decisions, and to set yourself into motion. How is your prayer life? Because it ties everything together. Are you going to decide today that you will have a prayer goal? We speak of these things and they are lights, but today is laid before us the path of life and the path of death. Let us choose life that we may live. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the messages we have heard. We pray, O Heavenly Lord, that no bed of the air will pluck out any aspect of it from us. And the decisions we have made this day empower us, O Heavenly Father, to stand by and run with in the name of Jesus. Uphold us by your Spirit. And Lord, let the burden of prayer for revival continue in us. Until we see your hand come down on us. You are the same God yesterday, today and forever. You have not changed and you will not change. We are the ones who have not been in the place where we ought to be. Help us, O Heavenly Lord, to come back to the position that you have kept for us. And pour upon us the little rain that our generation will be reminded that there is a God who rules over the life of man. In Christ Jesus our Lord we pray. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow us all the days of our lives and we shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen.